0: It's at break time. First, I want to mention that I now have a Patreon, so if you love this podcast, I would deeply appreciate the extra support at Patreon.com slash Second, the Beyond Solitaire podcast is proudly sponsored by Central Michigan University's Center for Learning Through Games and Simulations, which continues to do amazing things in the world of academic board gaming. Their first Kickstarter, Monumental Consequence, has now entered fulfillment, and you can still order a copy through cmichpress.com, link in show notes. Their next Kickstarter, Rising Waters, will hopefully launch at the end of October. And if you were interested in a certificate in applied game design, CLGS is offering several courses throughout the year. Starting on October 10th, Eloy Santa will bring back his Art of Game Crafting course. And starting on October 11th, Lamaro Smith will teach Visual Storytelling, Game Art, Design, and Branding. So sign up and get your learning on. For now, though, let's get on with the show. Hey gamers, just a quick note, there are a couple of sound issues on this episode due to a faulty internet connection, uh, but I let the interview stand as is because I still think it's well worth listening to. Thank you so much for your patience. Hey gamers, this is Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire, and this week on the pod, I have a very special guest. This is Ada Sayan, she is the Peace and Conflict Program Director at Kuzmasina, which is an NGO based in Turkey, and she's also a game designer, we're going to get to that. How are you doing, Ada? I'm doing very fine. How about you? I'm doing great. So you're in Turkey right now, where it's really late at night. So thank you so much for coming on to talk to us.
1: No worries at all. It's it's nighttime for me. That's perfectly fine.
0: <laughs> so how uh, tell us about Kuzbashina. Uh How um, how new is it as an NGO? How has it developed? And then we'll get to your game eventually. But I just want to know the basics.
1: Yeah, absolutely for sure. Um, so we are a women's rights NGO and just to kind of like explain it a bit um because means just a girl in english and just in case you might wonder why does a woman try NGO is named just a girl it's because um here in turkey usually you know growing up you hear a lot of you know you are just a girl so you cannot do that you are just a girl you cannot go there etc you know the sayings. um so we kind of wanted to Take that saying and then kind of bring some empowerment to it, and then kind of say, You are a girl, so you can do that. You are a woman, you can do that. That you have the power to do something. So that's kind of like in the back of our minds the whole time. Um, we are founded in Ankara, so the capital of Turkey. And basically, we um, are concerned with anything about women's rights, um, civil rights also, but um, it could go anything from women's empowerment in any, any part of the world um, to femicide. So, you know, kind of domestic violence. Um, all We try to cover anything that concerns women. Um, so we've been operating since 2017. And um, since then, we did a lot of great projects. I've, been, I've only been in the NGO for the last two years. So I'm just like finishing up my two years now. Before I joined in, um, they did many one-of-a-kind projects. Um, some of them were about directly um, femicides in Turkey. So basically we have sadly a lot of them. Um, so, and once you have a lot of femicides going on, you, some, at some point you kind of stop keeping track of it. And it's, it gives you so much pain that you start forgetting, sadly. So um, they kind of wanted to put that into perspective. And for example, they just um, researched every, the history behind every one of those femicides. And then they created little um, codes, the QR codes. And then they put it where those women have been killed. Just to remind people that here, a woman was killed. It was called Digital Carnation Project. And it was awarded by Facebook's P2P project. Um, and then they also did um, Turkey's first... Um, domestic violence um, court, you know, court case. So basically they just took different um, groups of, you know, lawyers, you know, people interested in law and legal processes. And um, they kind of did a mock trial, which was one of a kind thing, because we have, again, a lot of these types of domestic violence or femicides going on, but no one is trained pretty much. They don't teach that in law school here. So they kind of wanted to teach that. So it was also one of a kind. And then we have, you know, continuously going projects. Um, and I our, one of our latest and one of the biggest ones was the Women in Command project, which is probably why I'm here for her.
0: It is, but we're going to get there a bit more. So you're a peace and conflict program director. What exactly does that mean? That sounds like a very cool job.
1: Yeah. So um, how it came to play is that I kind of started as, you know, your regular volunteer. I would do anything they would give me. Um, And then I kind of went into different projects. I did one with, um, I had the chance to actually coordinate one with Nike. It was on women's empowerment and sports, et cetera. And then funny enough, um, when I started doing the Women in Command project, um, we realized that we are actually expanding in that area as well. Because while most NGOs might just go into one area, like protecting women, from, you know, domestic violence or just responding to femicides, we kind of try to expand in all the ways possible. So we have, for example, a humanitarian program director as well. Once the Women in Command project started, we realized that we actually needed one um, for peace and conflict, women who got hurt in peace and conflict, and as well as women who should be deciding during peace and conflict as well. And in the meantime, we had the chance to kind of expand not only the Women in Command project, but also go into, you know, little tasks and little projects similar to that one. So we decided that it was time to kind of create a program under that title.
0: Awesome. So you designed a yeah. game called
1: Women in Command. So tell us about the game. So the project's name is the Women in Command and the game's name is Hebrew Threat Rising. So. Um, Basically, I I should maybe just talk about the project a bit. So why we designed the game makes a bit of sense. Um, So the project's aim is to empower women going into defense, peace, and security industries. Because when we started the project last year in May, we realized that there were a lot of conflicts actively going on everywhere in the world. And some of them were actually, you know, active conflicts um, you know military you know real life conflicts and some of them are just political or maybe even socio-conflicts and women and children during all these processes got hurt the most because women were not placed in decision-making mechanisms so they were being left out all the time um and although some of the organisms like it could be nato it could be un have different titles and different roles for these types of conflicts and this type of situations like gender advisors, et cetera. Um, in Turkey, where this industry is growing tremendously, the defense industry, we do not have women in any of the decision-making tables. So we decided to put women there by um, training them through workshops. But, you know, just training through workshops is, in I mean, in these days, is quite Ineffective, um, especially training young people. Like I, mean, I kind of give myself as an example whenever I talk whenever I talk about this project because I mean I I am kind of like the target demographic of it. So whenever I just like maybe start a workshop or just listen to someone talking for maybe an hour an hour and a half, I get bored of it and I usually end up not learning pretty much anything. So having our mentor who had a huge background in gamification, was a great source because that's where we came up with the idea of using a game as a training tool because it's interesting, (laughs) it's fun, and it lets us deliver the learning outcome. So that's kind of how it started. And basically, hybrid threat rising war game is a hybrid conflict war game. Um, It's about a three-hour war game and you have your classic red and your classic blue, but I think what differentiates it is that they have different winning mechanisms, so um, they win the game by doing different things and it, you know, it's supposed to be that way because it's supposed to kind of imitate the 2014 um, Ukrainian-Russian conflict, so we thought it would be best to give them different abilities and needs and it's also very interesting because we um, also put an influence mechanism so you get to not only play out different scenarios of combat but also you get to play out different scenarios of influence Um, and we included a lot of things in it I could talk about it for hours probably but um, you also have your cyber attacks you have your multi-domain on a very basic level and um, yeah a lot of a lot of mechanisms in it. I think that's what kind of differentiates it, but it's still quite beginner level.
0: So had you ever designed a game before and like, are you a gamer outside of this project?
1: Oh, so <laughs> this is where it kind of goes downhill. Um, before <laughs> I was not your you know, best gamer. Um, I say this with a bit of, sh- I think it's like a guilty pleasure of mine, but before my favorite game was like Monopoly. Whenever I say it, any of the gamers I know just go absolutely crazy because all gamers somehow hate Monopoly. I, I mean, usually the game develop, developers hate Monopoly or like very, you know, hobby gamers hate it. But to me, it's so fun. Like what makes it fun is that I have fun. So to me, that was quite enough. And before I had never, ever designed any games, i um I did kind of like simulations i had um, organized a mock nato um conference, so that was what came the closest to designing a game um but that was pretty much it for me
0: <laughs> uh so um when you began to design this game then, uh, what were your influences and who did you get some help from? Because it's so hard to do something like that for the first time, especially if you don't game a lot. So what were you playing and who were you talking to to get started?
1: Oh gosh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> so when we first started, okay, let me, let me restate that. We started in May 2021 um, when we first started the project. And before actually we started it, what kind of got me into this, into this role of leading the design team of a game. We started the project in May 2021, and um, how I got into the role of leading design team of the um, hybrid threat-raising game um, was in about February 2021, our mentor, Becky Chaplum, who who was then chairing um, SAS 129 Research Task Group of um, NATO Science and Technology Organization, um, he was working on this gamification um, project through this research task group. So he was supposed to facilitate a game and then he just like put out this message to the Slack channel saying, so I'm doing this and I need, you know, assistant facilitators who can just help me write some crises, situations, et cetera, like injects to the game. And then like I saw it, I just didn't really care about it. I had exams going on. And then at the very last minute, I thought, I have some information on this. Like, I know how kind of like NATO works. I have like a little bit of knowledge on what may happen. So let me just write my name down. And then I did. And then it kind of like got going. And we were supposed to write like crisis injects. And I am one of the most pessimistic people you may know, especially when it comes to crisis situations. So it came really easy for me. Um, I wrote like many of them and I knew how to before because of like model United Nations projects etc so and I'm also <laughs> kind of like an ambitious person so I wanted to see how my crises played out so I was like kind of pushing them forward so that he put them out as injects and w- the more I saw how they played out and how people responded to it especially you know these people I never knew from before who were you know um from the military or who were experts in their own areas on um um I was really amazed of how fun it was to create something and then see people react to it see people kind of play it out and then see how they thought about it and you know just kind of observe their thought processes so I was kind of like amazed by it but then I just forgot about it because I had more exams <laughs> Um, And then time passed by and um, he kind of um, came back and said, so we have this Women in command project going and then would you like to take part in it to lead the design team? And I somehow said yes to this day. I don't know what pushed me to do that because I had no idea what was kind of expecting me. But I said yes. And then I was in a different city in Turkey and they got me here in Ankara. And we started kind of rolling this whole... Um, design team and it was a lot of blood sweat and tears for about a whole summer (laughs) for about four months Um, but I think what made it the most I mean it had it's of course ups and downs because it was my absolute first time doing something this big Um, but also it was really amazing because we got to work with absolutely amazing people I had um, work as my mentor we worked with Imaginatic from Canada. We worked with Tom Fisher and Stephanie Game from there. Our design team was amazing. I think one thing I should maybe mention is that in Turkey, we have no um, serious, you know, war game designers. We have game designers who design, you know, apps or maybe just, you know, fun games, not serious games. So we had to create our own serious game design team by kind of you know, doing different interviews, pulling people here from here and there. And it came out just amazing. And I got to work with absolutely brilliant women designing this game for women, mostly, um, and our influences. So at the beginning, we started, you know, by playing games to kind of get some inspiration from it. We played, I think, my first ever war game is Memoir 44. <laughs> which is which a, is a great game yeah it's a good start it was really fun um and I remember being completely like lost it's a very easy game when I look back at it we still do tournaments with UK Fight Club but <laughs> when <laughs> I look back um Burke had told me to kind of like learn how the rules work how it's played etc I was lost I was long gone I I was like just reading the rules and I was just so confused like what does this all mean because to like a beginner who knows <laughs> nothing, pretty much nothing about war games, it's it's not fun. It's just confusing. It was just plain confusing. But then more I learned about it, the more people who were experts in their areas, like Burke or like Tom, explained those to me, it became more fun. And I think what made this process this, you know, mm, passionate was that people were so nice and so accommodating.
0: So memoir forty four, that's a really I don't I guess that is probably a pretty ambitious place to start. So what about your experience of jumping into a war game impacted your design of this game later? Because you've mentioned that your game is um is very beginner friendly. So how did you communicate what you wanted to communicate? while also keeping the game accessible because you now know how that feels to jump into yeah. a game that isn't?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, when we first started, we worked with, you know, again, Imaginetic with Tom Fisher as mentor. And he knew absolutely perfectly what I was thinking when I was, you know, going into a game. He kind of like put us through a series of workshops where he introduced us to how to design a serious game. And I think that's the process that made it so much more easier <laughs> to design the game because I mean, I did not have maybe years of background into this, but I kind of knew the fundamentals and I yeah. knew how the beginner mentality worked and how it, you know, maybe like a basic Turkish movement mentality worked. So working with the design team who were you know, people like me, um, about my age, about my background, um, more to the design side, but I mean, we were pretty much thinking the same things. We always turned back inside and asked, "Would we play this game? Is this game easy to understand and does this game teach me something?" so these were these were the, about three fundamental questions we always asked and designing the game, um, so we are quite the ambitious team, and we wanted to make it as perfect as possible. I'm just going to admit that um, no game is perfect, but we wanted to just make it, you know, one of a kind thing, you know, having all the learning outcomes. In it. And we have like a whole whole table where we have so many like learning outcomes, like this was connected to this, this was connected to this, et cetera. And then as we continue to add them and add them and add them, as you can guess, it got a little bit complicated. And then at some point we had to kind of look at it and say, okay, this is just too much. Um, at one point, even our own design team was kind of getting lost into all of the mechanics, all of the you know, different rules, et cetera. And then at that point, we had to kind of turn back inside and kind of simplify the game level by level by still keeping it informative and just keeping the learning outcomes in it. And what makes it accessible, I think, is that um, design process. Because, I mean, I always say this, but it's not mutually exclusive. It's a game designed by women for women. It's also for men or anyone else. But we kind of know how we think, especially in Turkey, especially about Turkish women who have no background of wargaming or, you know, military, abbreviations, military sayings, etc. So we know how we think. And that's kind of like the first step of it. And the second step of accessibility is that we added, so many facilitators to it that we have for example an awesome rule book it was consulted to many 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 experts it was designed in maybe like three months just the rule book so that you just do not get lost in it but you actually follow like kind of like a way and then you kind of flow right into it you are able to find what you search for and we kind of like we could pre-guess some of the questions women asked and we had a lot of time actually play testing it, not only during the summer, but also going into like September, October, et cetera. So we kind of like put all those questions and put all those outputs into the rule so that when you have it, the for the first time in your hand, you were able to actually learn about the game and then find what you're looking for. Um, a second aspect of it were player rates. So, once you have so many mechanics and then like so many stuff going on because that's kind of like the truth you have a lot of going on in the game even though it's easy we call it beginner level it's still a lot for someone who's just starting because you probably don't know about all these mechanics just so you have once you begin laid out without having to flip pages what you have to do just in front of you, very clearly. And it's also very nice looking, I could say. So it's actually really like fun and nice to look at it and then play it. Another aspect <laughs> is that um, we have a tutorial level. So I don't think we've seen this with any of the serious war games, but looking at the examples we had, you know, NATO war games, for example. It takes about maybe two days to learn some of them, just to learn how to play the game. And you, you know, on top of that, you have to be an expert at it. You have to already like priorly know how, what you're supposed to do. And in our case, it's not possible because we're looking at people who have never played war games before, who don't have a background in military or similar concepts. So we had to introduce a tutorial level game just to kind of teach them in less time at least less than maybe two or three hours and then kind of ease them into the game because once I think I think it's the same thing with pretty much everyone I know um when someone is explaining me the rules my head goes empty I have like elevator music playing and then I am just so stressed about learning the rules that I cannot even you know when I start playing I cannot even remember what I was told and tutorial, I, I think the tutorial level counters just about that. It kind of lets you discover the game in your own conditions and at your own pace. And then it kind of lets you play it out. It kind of lets you practice whatever you're supposed to do later. It's really great because we got to test the tutorial level at the Royal Military Academy of the Netherlands with um, 90 cadets during a training. And it went absolutely great. <laughs> I was surprised by the results. Um, I was sadly the only facilitator who was able to go there because of COVID. But so I was alone, you know, next to about 90 cadets. And I was just like thinking, how am I supposed to teach this game to 90 people all at once with all the questions that I will be asked? And we started with a tutorial and they learned in about 30 minutes. And they played against um, our team back in Ankara virtually for the first day. And they were about, you know, beating up, our team who designed the game. And it was just amazing. It was incredible. So <laughs> this is, I think, the fundamental accessibility features we have so far.
0: Nice. So the Hybrid Threat Rising is definitely about then, it's a large group game. It's meant for maybe a classroom or for a whole team to play.
1: Um, so it's, you can play it one versus one, but also you can play it, you know, by teams up to five people and then after maybe like seven or six, I personally do not recommend it because in you know those group settings or in those team settings. Um so for that purpose we designed a mega game. It lets you kind of create that you know operating team and then you have those different teams acting out you know for blue for example or for red acting out different uh, parts of the game so we also did that.
0: Okay, so this thing can scale. There's like like a a base version that's for like up to five, and then there's like the big mega version for large groups. You mentioned learning outcomes earlier and how you had some learning outcomes, but then you had to cut some. What uh, ended up being the ultimate focus of the game, and then what things did you end up sort of cutting because it took away from the the focus of what you really wanted to teach?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we have um, on the like, high level of um, learning outcomes, we have, for example, very like, basic ones like crisis management, resource management, um, et cetera. And yeah. then once you kind of go into details, it goes into um, the cyber domain or you know, it goes into influence, it goes into urban warfare and different kind of types of it. So it can get really detailed all at once. But one, one of the things we kind of had to cut out or at least be, simplify, as we, as, simplify as much as we could was um, multi-domain because it's, I mean, it was one of the learning outcomes I was very passionate about because I think it's so much fun to test out all the different domains and then kind of like tie them within each other and then kind of try out different, different mechanics. But once we tried to involve... All those different domains, it got very complicated and <laughs> it got kind of out of hand. Um, and we said, okay, so this we can, for example, add as an extension to the game. But for the you know main game, the the basic game, we do not have to because we can just give what we want to teach through the cards, you know, through the existing mechanics at least. But so we kind of wanted to save that multi-domain aspect of it for example to an extension or to maybe hopefully another project we'll see about it but um I think that was one of the biggest things that we had to cut out
0: gotcha is this a game that you are hoping to sell commercially or uh like is it something that somebody could just play in their living room one day or is this really meant for a more educational setting
1: oh I think I think it's for both somehow um it's not because like it's at this point, it's our game. I mean, I'm very passionate about it. But I think it's quite a fun game. Maybe it's because of our team as well. But so far, we played this with about 350 people in the span of maybe like a year or maybe less. And every time we played it, it was so much fun, honestly. So I think this, you can play it in your living room if you want to. I can just send you, I can send you the printables. That's perfectly fine for us. But um, it, it can also be very educational once you have facilitators or once you have um, someone there to kind of support the learning outcomes of it. But you can also play just, you know, alone with your friends just to kind of see the, the different mechanics and to kind of get the learning outcomes out of the game.
0: That's really interesting uh you mentioned play testing with some cadets but this is a game that's by women for women what kind of responses yeah. have you seen from testing the game with the intended audience um were yeah. people surprised that you know the game worked for them um you know what what kinds of connections
1: did did you make with the people that you were hoping would play it sure so so this is one of the parts of the project that i'm very passionate about especially connecting with people because you know going into this we had no idea that we would be able to connect with this many people we were very amazed by the you know the interest that we got for example even this podcast this was never ever something we had hoped for or imagined but it's great to be here um and you know kind of developing the game again we play tested it in between the teams so we always had you know in the back of our heads what women you know our audience our target demographic would think of it but as we continued as we started to do you know international conferences like connections uk etc um, we got to play it with more women or more you know people actually who were experts in their fields and we kind of discovered that it was going better than we had expected <laughs> to be honest um, and then we were very incredibly lucky to have this much interest and this much positive feedback and this much, you know, support from the people we were working with. So, beginning we um, were working with um, your security from um, the U.S. who did something very similar for high school level students. Um, and also in contact with Yuna Wong from um, Women's Wargaming Network. So she kind of ended up introducing us to Georgetown University Wargaming Society, to Sebastian Bay, who introduced us to Jonathan, who introduced us to you. So just kind of like, it, it was like dominoes. So <laughs> we got introduced to so many people and we got to do so many events. And in those events, we got to meet amazing women who were, you know, some of them were just beginners in wargaming who some of them had an extensive background in wargaming and every time and each time somehow, very luckily, and I'm very proud to say that, we had absolute, you know, amazing response from it when like I was there for the most part to facilitate it. So I was able to kind of see their reactions and see how they responded to the game the first time they heard about the rules or the first time they saw maybe the graphics, etc. Um And then one of the most um, common responses we got was that it was great to have humanitarian um, aspects in the game, which is not very frequently done in a war game about hybrid threats. Um, And those humanitarian aspects had like it's special women aspect. So you would have special women cards in it, which resonated a lot with our target demographic because they saw maybe not their own experiences, but experiences they could relate to in, you know, their own minds. It was, again, easy to learn, easy to understand once you got into it. And the third one was about the graphics. Um, We always got that. The graphics are somehow really good. They're like really nice looking, etc. So it's always like a great bonus to hear that one.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Um, So do you consider yourself a gamer and a
1: game designer now where you didn't before? Oh, play a lot more games than I did before, because it kind of became my job to know about games, to discover games. I think to a point, I would consider myself a gamer, Um, a game designer, I think, maybe a junior game designer, you know, something small, something, (laughs) something kind of like, you know, at the very basic level, because um, now the hybrid threat rising war game is not my first game to design. Um, during this, we play different simulations and different trainings and different serious games. So I would maybe to an extent um, able, you know, I would maybe to an extent consider myself a game or simulations designer at this point, but hopefully more to come. And then I would be a lot more confident in considering myself one.
0: Well, I think that you are one. If you're doing the job <laughs> and the game's there, then you're a designer. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I always ask my guests this. What are you playing for fun right now, if anything? Oh,
1: gosh. Um, Civilization Six. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what we're playing. And let me tell you, we've been, you know, we are just insane about it. It's, I don't know why or how, but we are playing it all the time when we're not working especially with Burke, who also is my mentor so like we're always together who's like kind of like a brother to me so we're always together playing it and then we kind of got the whole team who were no who they are not gamers let me tell you they don't like most games but we kind of got them playing it as well and we're having so much fun but at the same time we're playing Katan, which is just amazing it's a very you know basic game you can just play with friends who don't really like gaming but they kind of like the competition of it you know it's fun we tried to con- kind of discover different games um mostly commercial so we can play with friends but the one that i'm playing the most right now is civilization It's absolutely amazing it's very detailed it's so much fun you can you can do so many things in it it's crazy <laughs>
0: I love it. And then if people want to talk to you, they have questions and want to find you online, where can they do that?
1: So if anyone has any questions or wants to learn more about the project, they can reach me personally through my LinkedIn. Or um, if you want to know more about the project, you can check our website, Kuzbashna's website. Um, You just write Kuzbashna in the English alphabet. Um, And that's pretty much it. We also have Instagram, but most of the content there is Turkish. So um, I would doubt that anyone would be interested in that. But if you are, it's the same thing, the same name. You can just search it and find it.
0: Nice. And I will be hitting all of that in the show notes for those of you who are curious out there. Um, And if you listen to this podcast, you probably know I can be found everywhere online as Beyond Solitaire. Uh, Ada, thank you so much for coming on and giving us your time and telling us about those amazing
1: projects. Thank you so much (laughs) for inviting me. It's really amazing to be here. And you know, everyone knows that I can talk about the project in the game for hours and hours on end. So it was really hard to kind of limit myself and say, okay, just just calm down, just limit yourself and then you will be fine and just talk about the basic stuff. But it's really amazing to be here and talk about talk about the whole thing to someone who's you know as interested and who's having you know so much fun. So it's great. Thank you so much.
0: All right. So those of you who are out there listening, please like, subscribe, comment, ask questions, and most of all, happy gaming.